0: Hello and welcome to the Work Matters Podcast, where we talk about what matters at work and how to make it better. I'm Robert Richardson, here with Dr. Steve Hunt. Steve, what matters at work today?
1: Hiring evaluations, those like tests and interviews and qualification screens that you have to take when you apply for a job.
0: I shared your story just yesterday about the SATs with our horse trainer. I was at horse. Riding lessons with my daughter, and uh, she's transitioning into college. And so, uh, you got to share this story. I thought this was just fascinating, and so did she.
1: There's a whole industry, and it has been for years, of companies that make basically, for want of a better term, tests, things that are like hurdles to get into different places. And I think that's how we think of them. We think of them as hurdles, like the SAT is a famous one to get into college, but there's a lot of other tests and things you have to do to get jobs. And the thing about the SAT and a lot of these tests that people don't realize is the history of the SAT was actually not designed to screen people out. It was designed to bring people into college who would never get the opportunity otherwise And this is in the 1930s when I don't remember the guy's name who developed it, but he realized that there was no way a kid from Iowa would ever get into like an Ivy League school like Harvard. Because at that time, the way you got into Harvard is you went to the right prep school and had the right last name and were part of the right family. And he created this test as a way to spot that super bright kid and give them the opportunity to get into college. But now everyone looks at these things as it's about who doesn't get in, and they never think about who does get in. But at the same time, they're anxiety things. What I'm excited about today's show is that we have Nathan Mondragon who's the chief IO psychologist for HireVue. And he's a person that I've personally known for a long time. He's a brilliant guy. And he's really knows so much about this whole idea of hiring evaluations and how they're designed and how to approach them. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Nathan, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be on, Steve and Rob.
1: Everyone has experienced in their life that I've got to take the test. And I think most people, we don't like it, but what's your background in this area? Because you've kind of dedicated your career to looking at these things. Is it because you hate candidates?
2: <laughs> Actually, it's just the opposite, right? It's because uh very similar to your SAT example, I fell in love with doing pre-hire assessments or pre-hire evaluations early on in my career. And I've been involved in doing this now for 20 over 25 years. And really the, the sweet spot is technology enabling these evaluative methods with a focus on how do you make it better for the people taking the test and how do you make it more open so that more people have opportunities for these jobs or promotions or whatever it might be as the outcome.
1: When if somebody applies for a job, what are the kinds of evaluations that they're likely to have to take?
2: The most common are you're going to take some sort of a test, as we've been saying, and that can be a test of knowledge and or ability kind of things. There's questionnaires that people will complete. and Those are More commonly known as personality tests or work style kinds of questionnaires. Then, of course, the interview methodology, whether it's live or whatever. And then very frequently and more common are simulations or exercises. So there's you're going through a sample of a work task with somebody to demonstrate that you can actually do the job. Those are the four most common types of evaluative methods.
0: I'm curious if you can take one step back and talk about why. Why do we do these kind of evaluations? Why are we put through this when we apply to jobs? I
2: view it as there's two
0: main reasons.
2: One is there's more people applying for a job than there are jobs available. right? So you have to have a way to objectively filter people out of the process. The other approach is more of a fit kind of evaluation. So it may not be that you have more people for the job than you have time to deal with. It's more of a, are they fitting the the role? and Are they fitting the environment or the company that you want to hire them into? So it's more of a deep analysis of their psychological constructs or abilities to perform the job and how do they fit within your company. So it's a deeper analysis, but it's a fit kind of approach versus a screening out approach.
1: That first point, though, reminds me of some of the earlier conversations on work matters about looking for jobs. Which I think people have to realize that in many cases, there's just no way a company could possibly look at all the people that apply for a job. And so you're saying is that these are a way to rank people based on their likelihood to be good at the job when you can't look at everyone individually. The other thing that you said, t- this idea of fit, that's a really interesting idea. Can you talk more about what does it mean for an evaluation to assess somebody's fit?
2: Yeah. The fit is, what do they fit into? right? (laughs) Right? Which is the question. So it really is, you need to understand the job or the role that you're going to ask them to perform if you hire them. So from a candidate's perspective, you may think you're qualified for that job, but you may not be the best fit for that company in that job. So there's two different levels to it, job and, and company. But the fit with the job really is more of a focus on what are the essential requirements or competencies and abilities needed to perform that job mm-hmm. and you have to define that first then you can start to identify how we're we going to measure somebody's abilities in that, in those areas
1: I think that's good. I mean, it kind of goes back to the example I gave the SAT, where what the person was looking at is one of the things that influences success in college is sort of your ability to solve problems quickly and think logically, which is what the SAT is measuring. Now, it's it's not the only thing. So there's a lot of criticism of the SAT, but it was that idea, like there's other things that are more important than your last name and the name of the prep school you went to. A good point about this, you have to remember that I think with these evaluations, it's a comparison again, what's the alternative? I mean, if you don't, use this evaluation they're still going to do something to rank order people because you can't kind of look at everyone but what is it they're actually measuring typically and what what makes
2: these things work so when you think about a job and fitting somebody into a job there are certain basics and foundations that that person must have to perform that job and those are the the sort of competencies that we're talking about here so if if it's a a delivery driver type job You want somebody that is going to follow procedures and not take risks, right? Because you don't want them operating a three-ton vehicle in public and running somebody over cutting corners. So that's a basic foundational need of that position. Some of the other things will be nice add-ons, you know, that you would add to it.
1: I think that's a good example because there's other jobs where you do want Um, (laughs) risk-taking. There's a component to like sales in a lot of jobs where you want people that are sort of willing to take a shot at stuff. So... When you're coming in to take these tests, and as somebody comes in and like, okay, I'm applying for a job, having worked with all these different kinds of tests, can you kind of talk through how somebody should approach these? The ones you mentioned were interviews, there's tests, there's sort of questionnaires, and there's the simulations. Why don't we start with the interview? That's probably the most common, and particularly... When it's an interview where increasingly the interview is not with another person, the interview is just like, you're going to be recorded. And this is something that I know you've built a lot of these. So you've thought a lot about that. How should somebody approach an interviewer? It's like, hey, we're going to record you for an interview. What's the right way to approach that? Should you like get up dressed really nice or how, how should you approach it?
2: Yeah, you, you do. Whether it's via a technology enablement or delivery, like a, the video interview or a live interview like we're doing now, right? Through a mm-hmm. conference sort of program, or you're sitting across a table in a traditional face-to-face interview, the rules of engagement, if you will, don't change. Treat that interview as if it's a live face-to-face interview. Wear clothes that are appropriate for the position, speak up, speak clearly, do your prep time, in getting ready for that interview, research the company, research the job, know the position, think about what they might be looking for in that role, and then have some examples that you would practice your way through in answering those questions in an interview. You should never walk in an interview, whether it's technology enabled or not, cold. You should yeah. always walk in, practiced and rehearsed. Is there some general like questions that a person is likely to
1: be asked to say, look, when you're prepping for an interview... You're going to get asked this sort of question, be ready
2: for it. There are. A well-designed interview follows certain principles and practices, and they're called behavioral-based questions Mm -hmm. or situational-type questions, right? So you should expect in a good interview to be answering questions around, tell me about a time when you did something that matches, and that should match the job you're applying for, or here's a situation, how would you respond? Those are the most common types of questions, and they're the most predictive as well of success. Uh, So thinking through that type of question is what's coming, you should be expecting. You should also be prepared to have quality answers to those questions. And there's some methodology that's out there. And one of the most common is the STAR methodology in how you would craft your response to the question. What, What does STAR stand for? STAR is Situation, Task, Action, and Result.
1: So you basically say, this is the situation, this is what I did, this was the action, this was the result. And how long should an answer be to an
2: interview typically? It kind of depends on the complexity of the question, but what we've found two to three minutes, kind of three minute mm-hmm. on average response time is about right. And that gives the, the candidate enough time to present enough information to be evaluated, but it doesn't give so much time that they start rambling and provide inconsequential information just to fill up the time gap.
1: I like that. So, you know, really what you're saying is practice these interviews, practice, like basically ask me tell me about a time when you're going to do something like When you did something like what you're likely to do on the job, and that's probably kind of studying the job a little bit, Mm -hmm. but also that focus on that very succinct, clear answer that provides specific examples. I think that's really good. I have to ask this question. I'm curious. There's an interview question that you and I know, both being IO psychologists, is a terrible one, but how should somebody answer the question of, where do you want to be in five years?
2: Yeah, and and, and retired is the wrong answer, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's a realistic question to expect in you know, at some point in the interview process, and I think it's fair to have. To me, it's an indication of did the person research the company and our position? If they're applying for a entry level, low level job, and they want to be doing that job in five years, that Kind of speaks to motivation a little bit. I'm hoping the person does some research and actually says, I'd love to be at the company. Hopefully it works out and I've advanced and progressed on. And here's maybe some of my career aspirations.
1: That is a great answer. It's like, yeah, I I want to be here because people like, they value retention, but I want to be moving on and moving on. Great. Yeah. Switching to the next, which is employment tests. These are the ones where there's a right or wrong answer and probably give you nightmares of being in school, right? How often are employment tests used and what sort of tests are people likely to encounter? Again, what's the right way to to approach them?
2: Yeah, they're used very frequently and I think becoming more and more frequently. And there are different types, right? So there's the, what we would call maybe general mental ability type tests, and those have a right or wrong answer to them. Are you solving problems? Are you memorizing things correctly, you know, et cetera. So you're looking for the, the ability of somebody's cognitive components to be smart enough to perform the job or to learn the job, et cetera.
1: Those are very anxiety provoking for some people. Particularly, people feel like if they don't test well, they don't test anxiety. What would be your suggestion? You know, when somebody says, "Hey, you're going to have to take this test," is there are there just general things that are good to do when you've got to take that sort of a test?
2: Yeah, there are, and it's really kind of go back to the best practice when you were in school. To go into the go into the situation with a clear mind, be rested, be focused. Don't go take a test at between three different meetings and you're scrambled and harried and kind of not clear on what's going on. Go in with a kind of a rested mind and a clear focus, just like you would try to take a significant exam in school. Understand you can't really study, you can't prep for a cognitive ability test. You're not going to improve your cognitive abilities overnight getting ready for this tomorrow, but you can be ready for it and be rested and clear-headed, if you will.
1: It's like you can be at peak performance and to be peak performance, you know, be focused, well-rested. It's kind of like if somebody asks you to sprint a 50 yard dash you're not going to get faster in one day but you can make sure that you sprint the best to your ability what about the other kinds which by the way i knowing these people that make these tests they hate it when you call them tests the work style fit the personality questionnaire the self assessment whatever you want to call it where they're asking you questions like you know are you more outgoing or risk taking you know that sort of stuff how do we approach those and and do they work
2: Yeah. So you approach them very similarly, right? I mean, be clear-minded and be clear and focused. And one way to think about it though, is there's no right or wrong answer on those, Mm -hmm. right? For one job, being a risk taker is more important than being not, or, you know, or being outgoing, right? And another job being outgoing is more important than being a risk taker. So there's no right or wrong answer, but in reality, there probably is a right or wrong answer for that job in that company. So you can do some work to think through, not to fake how to take the test, but to think through how to put your best foot forward. On those tests, right? And that's an okay thing to do.
1: Can you fake these things? You know, that's something people always wonder. And should you even try?
2: Yes, you can, and no, you shouldn't, right? You can try to fake your way through reading into what you think they're looking for. But I think a, a lot of times people read into what they're looking for incorrectly. They sort of fake themselves out of the process in a way. It's like you're just trying to read into it too much. Just be yourself and answer honestly. And that's usually the best way to go about it. Most personality tests aren't screening people out of the process a good design personality test is being used as additive data into the evaluation process right not to filter somebody in or out is to give you additional information on the insights of this person and would they be a fit with that role or how would you work with them
1: I think that's really good. I mean, a couple of things you're hitting on that I think are one is approach them kind of like an interview that you don't want to try to fake. Maybe you could, but it's harder to do than you think. Plus you're faking your way into something you may not want to do. Yeah. You know, And at the end of the day, it's not about getting the job. It's about getting a job that fits what you want to do and will be successful at. But yeah. the other thing that you mentioned is it's, it provides different information in, which I think is something people don't think a lot about these tests which is their objective can you talk about that aspect a little bit because again it goes back to what we were talking about earlier that when you're going through a screening process you're going to be evaluated the question is like how are you going to be evaluated and what is it that you'd say these tests add beyond like a company that just interviews people or doesn't use standardized assessments what is the what is the big advantage of a standardized assessment beyond
2: just it allows us to screen people without talking to them. There are some benefits, right? So it's and, and many of these are candidate facing benefits in a way. So we talked earlier about it in some of the, the volume applications, you have 10,000 people apply for 1,000 placements or hires, 9,000 people are not getting that job. A lot of times candidates, they think they should get every job they apply for. It doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. But you should be having a fair shot at a job that you're best qualified for and it could be the best fit for. If you get a job, if you fake your way through a test, to your point that you made earlier, Stephen, you get that job, you might find yourself in a position or with a company that you're completely unhappy with. And unengaged and dissatisfied mm-hmm. with. That does nobody any good. I think That's really
1: good. It shows that the company takes hiring seriously. It's really thought through it and thinking about it. And I do think one thing too, that people don't realize, because like you i have worked with these tests a fair bit is we can measure, like when you look at studies of bias, most bias is when humans are making decisions because these tests, you can study the heck out of it to make sure they don't show bias. I mean, you need to be careful. You can build bad tests, just like you can do bad in-person interviews. But I know, there's a tremendous amount of research. Like you lead a whole team of people that just focus on making sure these things are
2: measuring what they should be measuring and aren't measuring what they shouldn't be measuring. I think that's really good. You know, Steve, another takeoff on that is on all types of evaluation methods, the simulations, the interviews, the assessments, you know, the tests and, and questionnaires, the company should be telling the candidate why they're being asked to complete this tool, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And if the company is not being forthcoming on we're going to ask you to take this questionnaire because of x y and z reasons for the job that's kind of a red should be a red flag that may indicate that either they haven't thought through why they're having you take this test or they're not very transparent as an employer as well if you get to get a job with them
1: do you think it's okay for a candidate to ask when they're asked to take a test to ask a little bit about it or is that going to
2: hurt you as a candidate it should not hurt you as a candidate like we all know some companies where maybe it would and that would be a bad sign but you should ask that information you should be as educated as possible going into the process there's also you know a whole line of research that you know we're all familiar with in the justice area that says you should treat a candidate justly in the process and that means being transparent about what you're going to ask them to do and why and they feel more fair they feel like they were treated fairly in their they're okay with a negative outcome in those scenarios. right? For example, when we do our video interview platform, we instruct our customers in many ways to say, the video interview is gonna ask you about these five areas kind of thing. These are the areas that are important to be successful in the job. These are the competencies needed. So we're gonna ask you questions about these. Here you go, are you ready to start?
0: I'm glad we sort of made our way back to video interview because I'm seeing more and more in the industry today, a trend towards artificial intelligence and machine learning and bots that really assess and rate the performance of candidates across different test types. And of course, some of these tests, as you've talked about, a personality test, a cognitive test, right? You can't practice for these. So I just want to focus on those areas that candidates really can practice for and and there are bots that assess video interviews, for example, in the content that you talk about. So, a candidate who is increasingly aware that it may be a bot on the back end that is originally assessing you before you get handed to a human. Should they prepare any way differently for that type of assessment versus anything else?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. Interview, we're we're processing about two million of these interview assessments scored by the machine right per year. What we found is you shouldn't change your prep. There's nothing to change in your prep style for an interview, whether it's going to be scored by a machine or scored by a person. The elements still apply. Practice, be prepared, have good star type responses to the questions etc but what one of the things we have found is too short of an answer has an impact on a lower score just like the person doesn't have enough information to evaluate and give you a score on the machine doesn't have enough information to evaluate and give you a score on if you give a 30 second response when you're looking for three minutes of response time that's one sort of i think advice i would give for candidates is be prepared but also be prepared to give a, a well-thought-out full answer to these questions.
1: What about the words, especially when it's a bot or something like that? Are there certain words you just shouldn't use? I obviously would think profanity and stuff like that. But when you think about word choice, is there an advantage or disadvantage about being evaluated by a bot versus a human?
2: Yeah, the, that's the interesting thing about it, Steve, is the machine is 100% objective. The person evaluating the is brings emotion into it. The machine doesn't care what words you use. Uh, an example that, that I talked about the other day is if a person uses the word Trump or Trumpism in their answer to a question, it's gonna inject a visceral response, good or bad, in the interviewer, the person watching the video. Right? It might be a visceral response on the positive side because they're a Trump fan or on the negative side because they're not. But it's going to be a bilateral, you know, a bidirectional response. The machine won't care. Won't even probably even know what Trumpism is, right? So it's not going to give you a positive or negative weight based on that word. You can start to put in some opinions and those sorts of things into your storytelling answers that don't have a negative impact like they would if they were evaluated by a person.
1: It's really interesting. It's like in a way that the machine can be more fair than a person because the machine Doesn't feel. It's almost sounds like a sci fi movie, Robert.
0: (laughs) Well, like a sci-fi movie, though, I think sometimes it makes people nervous to know that uh, there really may be a bot on the other end of this that is rating them. I'm curious if you have any information to share regarding kind of the safeguards that organizations like yours put in place to ensure fairness.
2: That's a really good question. I think that's sort of the key. I would be nervous, too, if things weren't transparent. So candidates should know we're asking you these questions because they're going to measure X, Y and Z competencies. And those competencies are needed to be successful in the job. That's why we're asking them. They're important, right? The questions are related to the job. Therefore, we're going to ask you those questions. And we're only looking at scoring it and ways that impact the job sort kind of thing. And they've been linked to the job, success in the job. So those sorts of pieces of information should put the candidates more at ease that this is a job-related and a structured process. Everybody's going through the same process. I'm not ask, answering different questions than you're being asked tomorrow for the same job.
1: I like the transparency, and this point is a candidate, And if a company's not being transparent with you, again, it's kind of tells you something about the company. What about the ability to look at social media and to assess you and evaluate you And you may not even
2: be aware that you're being
1: evaluated? Is that happening? Is that a concern?
2: That is absolutely being done. Should it be being done? Personally, professionally, I don't think it should be because I don't know the people that are creating it have the right background, right? there, are an IL psychologist guiding that an is a better thing because we're, we're doing it with the eye towards fairness and accuracy of measurement that's relevant to the job versus just accuracy of whatever is being measured. And we don't know if it's relevant.
0: I feel compelled just to take one step back and just sort of explain this for a second. There are bots out there that are quite literally capable of taking a peek at your Facebook profile, taking a peek at your Twitter profile, your LinkedIn profile, right? Your footprint online, and then gobbling up that data, doing some machine learning analysis. And then coming up with scores for you. Those scores oftentimes, to Nathan's point, are something along the lines of a personality inventory. They'll rate you, but whether or not you asked this to be done or consented for it to be done, maybe another story.
1: Yeah. I agree with you, it's wrong. I personally think people shouldn't be evaluated on ways that they're not being told they're being evaluated. And I think there's all kinds of problems with it ethically, but it probably is happening. Do you have any thoughts to say, hey, look, when you're out looking for a job, you know, you're know, you gonna be evaluated one way or another. Are
2: there things people should just be doing as
1: good common sense
2: as they're in that
1: job search?
2: You know, there is the, we've talked about a lot of this already, right? Mm-hmm. So be prepared and do your homework. But doing your homework, a big part of that is, kind of mentally match yourself to the requirements of that job and and be prepared to go through things that should match what you're doing on the job. So if the job is a customer service job and there's going to be conflict with people, know that you're going to be asked about your your ways of dealing with stress and your stress tolerance and how you deal with conflict situations and be prepared for that. The other side of it, I think, is how are we going to protect candidates in, in some of these scenarios where... People are creating social media profiles appropriately or inappropriately without consent, and they're being used for things. There's some thinking along the lines of an applicant bill of rights. The Mm -hmm. the Society of Biopsychology is talking about it. Other people are talking about it and basically saying, in this bill of rights, there are certain things that applicants should have, like transparency and explainability. You should be told that you're going to be evaluated by a machine. You Mm -hmm. should be whole that you can be evaluated on these things or these competencies mm-hmm. and then you should be given explainable results that, you, that makes you understand <laughs> how you were evaluated.
1: i love that idea i mean that transparency which you have like in other countries like in europe there's a whole thing around that nathan thank you so much for appearing on work matters i think what you've shared has been so fascinating and also applaud the work you're doing just trying you know, with things like the applicant bill of Rights, just to you know, the reality is that we're going to be evaluated for jobs, but finding a way to make it more fair and effective. So thank you so much for appearing on the show.
2: It's been my pleasure. And I really thank you for having me on.
1: Wow, Robert. What'd you think? I mean, wow, Nathan, it's just fascinating how much stuff he's done in this area. I just was like gathered so much useful stuff myself, which I knew this when I was back when I was looking for jobs.
0: That is exactly what I was thinking. I just, I've just i got to believe there are a lot of folks out there applying for positions and uh, just wondering why they're being led through all the hoops that they're jumping through. And uh, wouldn't it have been nice if early on as we were jumping through and we had a sense for why?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the thing too, is that when a company is doing this, what they're saying is they're really thinking about what is the sort of person that will be successful in this job or in this organization. So the fact that they're doing them is not a bad thing. It actually is a thoughtful thing. At the same time, as Nathan pointed, you know, if the companies aren't being upfront and open with you, that's also telling you something about the company itself. So I like that idea of these evaluations are good things, but how they are using, they're also a source of information about a company.
0: Agreed. And and just like we talked about with the SAT, they may feel as though they're designed to screen you out. But to your point, it demonstrates that the organization really cares to ensure a really good fit. So, you know, sometimes as you're taking these kind of tests, personality inventories come to mind, it's pretty mm-hmm. easy to game a personality inventory, but you may be screening yourself out. You know, they may not want a person as extroverted as you're making yourself sound.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is. Think about being a match and, and, and focus and take them seriously, but view them as a chance to sort of show that you're a good match for the job, but don't try to pretend that you're something you're not. That's not good for you in the long run either. And as Nathan pointed out, you probably won't be successful. could just end up shooting yourself in the foot.
0: One thing that I really appreciated that Nathan went through was sort of what to do. And regardless of whether your interview, for instance, uh, was being recorded asynchronously, or if you were engaging in a synchronous, right, a live interview or on team, or zoom or whatever the tool may be, you sort of treat it the same way, regardless, whether it's a human or AI, you practice, 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 think through that star situation, yeah. ask action results, you know, keep your responses to two to three minutes. And again, really prepare practice with your roommate or your, your spouse or, or whoever you have available to, to be prepared.
1: No, I like that. I guess the last thing I would say to you know, Nathan was talking about the applicant bill of rights and things is I think, it's good to know there are people like nathan that are be that are working on these and i say that you know there are some bad ones out there i don't want to say but it, but there is really a strong profession of people that if you heard nathan start it's it's really about wanting to help people be successful and get the jobs and they take this work extremely seriously i don't think that gets enough press sometimes and that was cool to have nathan give a chance to share about what he really thinks about on this stuff so well thanks i really enjoyed the show and I uh, want to take us out
0: Will do. Thanks to our guest, Nathan Mondragon. Thanks to our chief sanity officer, Morgan Gardner. Our editor, Robbie Echevarria. Thanks to the Open SAP team for supporting this and so much other educational programming. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we hope to have earned a new subscriber and perhaps a quick rating wherever you listen. We'll be sure to get you more information in our show notes so if you're looking for more from nathan mondragon myself robert richardson or the ever prolific dr steve hunt who recently posted an article called breaking up is hard to do on linkedin look no further than our show notes we look forward to seeing you on the next podcast because what matters well today getting hired matters employment evaluations matter work matters thanks for joining us on the work matters podcast